Uh, we are thrilled that you're here today. Uh, we've been in a season of mercy because what I've seen is like so many people are just feeling overwhelmed and overworked and stretched thin and frantic. And so we said, man, what are, the, what are the mercies that God gives us that are new every morning? Like, like we have access to this mercy and grace of God on a regular basis. What would it look like for us to, to dive into those and to tap into them again? And uh, so as I start today, I just want to tell you a story. When uh, my daughter was in elementary school, uh, maybe maybe some of you who had kids remember this. When your kids are in elementary school, like every like once a quarter, you have to go to elementary school and see all the art paraphernalia that your kid produced, right? Like outside the door, of the, outside on the wall of the classroom, you know, like every kid has this drawing and every kid wrote this haiku and, you know, or like whatever it is, like I don't know. And it was, I think it was Valentine's season and so... You know, this is another event dads are always thrilled to go to. So we're going to, we're going to my daughter's elementary school, and here's my classroom, and okay, here on the outside wall, here's 30 different paintings and pictures. Here's all the stuff we've done, and because it was Valentine's, they they did this thing. I think it was called like um, th- they were supposed to do a drawing of something they love, right? And so, you know, it was red construction paper, and there were hearts all over it. And we start going down the row of every kid in the class. What do they love? What do they love? What do they love? And, you know, it's like, I love mommy. And there's a stick figure of mommy. I love daddy. You know, and then the pet is always get thrown in there. You know, the family pet always gets, I love, I love the family pet. Brothers and sisters never included in this list. (laughs) And we're walking down the row, and... Uh, I'm pretty sure my daughter's was I Love Daddy, you know. Um, honestly, I don't remember hers. Um, the one I do remember was at the very end. It looked like a, um, a drawing of, like even in elementary, you could tell it was like a drawing of, of kind of a scroll. And what it said was, I love Torah. Now, you know something about this kid and his family already, don't you? Right? You know something uh, about, about his parents, and you know something about how he has grown up. You know something about what he values and, and what's really important to his family. You know what kind of foundation has already been set in this kid's mind. Right? He's Jewish. And he loves Torah. I can't imagine him like trying to explain to the other kids in elementary who don't even know what Torah is, right? And when this kid is old enough, right, usually around the age of 13, he'll get to celebrate this love of Torah in a bar what? Yeah, yeah. In his bar mitzvah. Uh, I don't know, have any of you been to a bar mitzvah? You know what this is like? So I, I'm learning all about this bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah is for boys and bat mitzvah is for girls. I didn't know. I'm figuring this stuff out just like you are. But at your bar mitzvah, the first thing that happens is, is that this young man will be called up to the Torah. And this is like a really important idea that they're called up from the kind of audience, from the crowd, up to the Torah, to the, the word of God, to recite the blessings from the Torah and the readings that week. And by doing this, he will show himself uh, ready 
to live fully for God. Like this is an amazing moment where he commits himself to the teachings of God. The, the fact that he's able to recite and read the Torah before the congregation is, is also a way of signifying that he on his own is ready to obey the commandments of God. Uh, if you've ever been to a bar mitzvah, it's a, you know, there everybody's dressed up and there's a big party that comes after and there's a big celebration. In a lot of ways, it's, it looks kind of like a wedding, right? And when the kid comes up and he reads the words of Torah, he's, he's saying to the commandments of God, he's saying to the Torah, like, like he's reciting his vows in a way to, to have and to hold for better or worse. I'm going to cling to the words, the commandments of God in sickness and health until death do us part. The words uh, bar mitzvah literally means, bar mitzvah literally means son of the commandment. Son of the commandment. Now, I don't know if you remember the Ten Commandments. In the Old Testament, they're, they're recorded in, in the books of Deuteronomy and Exodus. God in thunder and lightning and smoke draws his people before him and he gives them the Ten Commandments. I know like you can't do, even talk about this without thinking about Charlton Heston, can you? You hear his voice already. And he gives his people these commandments and the commandments are that there should be no other God but him. And you can't have any idols. You must not bow down or worship them. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And, and there's a commandment about observing the Sabbath and keeping it holy. And I, I love this one. Just brief side note, like, like there are things that are holy. Do you get that? Like there are moments in this world that are set aside as holy and we're, we're to pursue holiness. And, and it doesn't mean that there's, there's plenty of time for work for sure. But think about this, like the way you worship and honor God is when you cease from work. And maybe a reverse way of thinking about it is, honestly, in your work, are you dishonoring God? The commandments go on about honoring father and mother. There seem like some pretty obvious ones about Murder is not for you, or adultery, or theft, or, or bearing false witness. Like, lying is just not a part of this thing. The last one is, is all about coveting. It's envy and jealousy. Is there anything that belongs to someone else that, that you're envious of and jealous for? Like, it's a kind of a different form of idolatry. It's, it's worshiping the things of this world and, and the belief that possessions, like, if I just had this, whew, man, right? And it, it, it denies, like, when we covet things, it denies God's role as provider, so there are these commandments like, that are set out by God. And then I love what, De uh, what Moses says about them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Here's what he says. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. All right, so if you know this in the Old Testament, this is the great statement of the Shema, right? Can you say that? Say Shema. That's right. Shema means listen or, or hear. It means perk up and pay attention, Right? That's what he says. He says, listen up. 
And then it's kind of like a replay of the first commandment. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Like there's nobody else, there's nothing else. And he goes on and he says, I know you already know this part. He says, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these what? These commands that I'm giving you today. And he takes these commands to a whole other level, like, the, like this love and devotion to God is, is evident in your devotion to these commands. And in verse 7, he says, I want you to repeat them again and again to your children. Right, like that little boy who wrote, I love Torah. Repeat them again and again to your children. He says, I want you to talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road. Keep going to that. Yeah, and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up, like all the time, these things, I want them to be in front of you. And he goes so far as to say in verses 8 and 9, he says, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Go ahead and show that next image. If you see the bands around their arms and if you look carefully, you can see a small leather box called a phylactery, like uh, the bands are called tefillin, and, and literally like Orthodox Jews, they take the commands of God and they tie themselves up with them. They take bits and pieces of the Torah and they put it in the box right at their forehead. And that thing on the doorpost right there, it's called a mezuzah. Anyone ever seen this? A mezuzah holds pieces of the Torah, and like the only thing I know to even compare it to is like, you know, when the team is marching out on the field and they hit the poster, it says win on the way out. Like, I don't know, like it's like that. Like when you go out of your house, you, you put your hands on the Torah, you put your hands on the commands of God to remind you to be in wholehearted devotion to these things, Right? When you walk out, you touch them and remind yourself that I'm going to live into the commands of God. I'm going to absorb these commands. I'm going to hold on to these commands. And when you come back in, you do it again. Like, it's interesting that, I, I, like, I think it's fascinating and, and interesting kind of stuff. You know, Moses, tie them to you. Put them on the doorpost of your house. Like, honestly, like, I don't think he meant, like, literally, even though Orthodox Jews definitely take it that way. What does he mean? I think, I think he means internally, right? To carry these things with you in, in such a tangible way that they become inseparable from you. When you think about your home or when you think about your work, you have a whole foundation of God's commands holding you up, giving you something to cling to and hold on to. And that's important. We need things to hold on to. We need to be reminded all the time of the commands of God because, frankly, sometimes we can get carried away. Ever been carried away? I've been really uh, wrecked by a... Psalm 73 this week. Man, I've read it again, and I, I probably read it 50 times this week. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I'll, I'll let you dig into some of it this week. But in Psalm 73, the psalmist, uh, he is looking at the wealthy. He even calls them fat cats in the New Living Translation. Here's what he says about them. He, he says, 
they, they, they prosper, and they seem to live such painless lives, and their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't, they don't, these people, they don't have troubles like other people have. He says these fat cats have everything their hearts could wish for. They, they, they boast even against the heavens. They strut throughout the earth, and um, they, they, um, it says that, oh, where is it at? Oh. They even challenge God, say, what does God know? It says that their hearts have everything they could wish for. Right, so the psalmist is looking at the wealth of these people. He's looking at the wealth of, maybe it's, it's people who are famous, or people have the appearance of having everything, Right? Uh, I just saw this week that the most expensive home in Nashville just came on the market is $32 million. So I put an offer in. <laughs> I just want to invite them to Aspen Grove. Like, hey, looking for a church? Have you ever envied what others have? And see, the, the psalmist is looking at these people that seem to have it all. Like they've got it all figured out. They live painless lives. They have everything their heart could desire. And the psalmist, I love what he says. He says, he says I envied the proud. In verse 21, he said, I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside because I was looking at all of this that they had. And in verse 2, he says, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. That ever been you? Ever been seduced and lured in by the promises of this world? You ever been drawn in? And the psalmist recognizes, man, like when I began to get drawn in by these things, things got really slippery. Things that I held onto that were firm and solid are no longer firm and solid. And my desires will even slide out beneath me. And things can get sideways. And it begs the question, like in, in a world filled with sin and desire, what is there for us to cling to? What is there for us to build on? That's why Moses says, remind them again and again and again to wholeheartedly obey my commands. I couldn't do this teaching without talking about uh, Matthew chapter 5. Again, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, but I'll let you go and read it for yourself. Uh, Matthew in chapter 5 and chapter 6 and, and chapter 7 records one of Jesus' uh, greatest teachings, arguably his greatest teaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, any of you hear of it before? And uh, maybe you even gloss over that fact, Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount. Like, like it's important to even pause right there to even tell you this is, a, this is an important moment. Because this is not a sermon in the church building. 
This is not a sermon in the synagogue or in the holy temple. This is not a sermon in the city center or a boardroom or in the royal palace. It's a sermon that Jesus delivers on the mountainside or the hillside. I think I even maybe have an image of it. And the idea of a sermon on the mountainside, on the hillside, should immediately draw attention to, like, if Jesus was given the sermon in the royal palace, you know who would be there listening, right? If Jesus was in the synagogue given a sermon, you know who was there listening. Or if he was in the temple, you know who would be there listening. And so the idea of a sermon on the mount, the sermon that he's on a hillside somewhere, should automatically draw up in your mind a kind of people that are there soaking it in. Because he's not surrounded by royalty or businessmen or women. He's not surrounded by the religious or the social elite. Honestly, like this is a, a, a sermon for ordinary people. They're outside people. Um, farmers. This is a Dan Bond sermon, right? We know that kind of people. This is a teaching for the kind of people who get up early to take care of animals. They probably smell like the earth and the livestock they take care of. The people that heard this sermon the first time had dirt under their fingernails. Are you with me? And Jesus delivers this incredible teaching to him. I just want to, like, I, I encourage you this week to go and reread Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But let me just summarize a little bit of it for you. Just walk you through some of this. In this incredible teaching to dirt under the fingernail kind of people, Jesus begins with words of blessing. It's called the Beatitudes. He speaks blessing over them, and then verse 16, he tells them to do good so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. He reminds them that they're salt and light, and, and that he even tells them, like, really, your purpose in this place is to bless and do good. In verse 42, he says, I want you to give to those who ask, and, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Like, your new identity is about blessing and doing good. He goes on in this great teaching, and he says, if you're angry with someone, maybe you've even called them an idiot. That's a no-no word in our house. We have little ears that love to repeat things. He says, maybe you've been angry with someone. Maybe you've even called them names. Jesus' great teaching is, get over it. If you've got an issue with someone, he would even tell you you're in the wrong place. If you're here today and have an issue with someone else, he says, you're in the wrong place. He says, don't come to me. Don't come to God for forgiveness. Go to them. He says, go and be reconciled to that person. Settle your differences quickly. Later, he goes on to say that revenge, he said, you know, that's really not for you either. He even talks about judgment. Even, a little bit later, he talks about judgment. He says, revenge and judgment, these, these things really aren't for you. These aren't a part of your identity. Remember that blessing and good doing and forgiving and reconciling part? That's for you. These other ideas of revenge and judgment, he says, you know, this, this is the part that you probably are familiar with. You know, he says, you need to check the log in your own eye first. He says, instead of revenge and judgment and anger, he says, choose love. He says, love even when they don't love you back. Love even when there's nothing in it for you. In fact, the golden rule is to love others the way you want to be loved. He goes on to this 
to the, these farmers and says, don't give in to lust. Don't let any part of you fall into temptation and sin. Practice self-control. He reminds us that people aren't things. People are to be loved. And so we're to be careful of how we see others. He goes on. This is an important one, I think, for our culture and our day. He says, say what you mean and mean what you say. If you say yes, then do it. And if you say no, then let that be the end of it. I wish the Bible was more relevant for our world. And he says, when you're doing all of this, good doing and blessing and saying yeses and noes and loving, he stops and even offers this correction. He says, make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Check your motives. He says, when you pray and when you fast, this is not an if you pray and if you fast. He says, when you pray and fast, he says, when you give to the needy, don't let your right hand know what your left is doing. Don't do it in public. In other words, he says, be humble about these actions. I love the quote from John Ortberg about humility. He said, we'd all like to be humble, but what if no one notices? <laughs> Jesus goes on to say, he says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money or anything, really. He says, we serve an audience of one, and does your heart belong to God alone? And is pleasing God motivation enough for you? He goes on, I love this next part. Most of us worry a lot and pray a little. And Jesus says, I want to turn the tables on this. I want you to pray a lot and worry a little. In fact, he says, keep on praying all the time. Be praying. Never stop praying. Stop worrying if you're going to stop something. Worry is not for you. That's for someone else. Prayer is for you, and consistency counts. Your Heavenly Father already knows what you need. The penultimate verse, I, I, I think of this whole teaching, is chapter 6, verse 33, where he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Righteousness is just a way of right living. Live right. And here's how. Finally, in uh, chapter 7 and verse 21, near the very end, man, he has these penetrating words. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And it's like it all boils down to this. It's not about believing. It's about doing. Did you catch that? Are you doing the will of God? Jesus' great teaching, his great sermon to hardworking, get-it-done kind of people is not so much about belief. It's all about behavior. Now, this is a really interesting idea because I think today in kind of cultural Christianity, however you would define that, like being a follower of Jesus is probably like 90% belief and 10% behavior. But that's not scriptural. If you read this, like, Jesus says this is really 90% behavior and 10% belief. Think about it this way. If belief is all that Jesus asked or required of his disciples, they could have kept their jobs as fishermen, right? They could have still been tax collectors or whatever. If belief is all that's required, then nothing in my life has to change. But Jesus didn't say, come and believe in me. He said, 
come and follow me. And they did. And they began a whole new way of life. Finally, at the very end, Jesus ends this great sermon with, uh, in chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, I'll read it for you. This is how he sums it all up. Three chapters of teaching. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching, the one he just gave, and follows it is wise. It's like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears the teachings I just gave and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I always felt super weird about uh, giving this teaching when I lived in Florida and every house was built on the sand. I was like, hmm, how do I do this? Like in the ancient Near East, like there were these river beds. And like 10 months out of the year, like 10 months out of the year, the riverbed is dry. And 10 months out of the year, things are growing in this riverbed, right? 10 months out of the year, it is the best place to build. It's convenient. It's flat already. It already has everything in place. Man, it seems so desirable 10 months out of the year. When your other option is bedrock or rock, and if you look at, like, building on rock is hard, right? You could have a house up on sand in no time. A, a bedrock kind of house is going to take longer. It's going to take more effort. It's going to take more planning. It's going to take more intention. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to, right? To effort and intention and obedience. I want you to see that like this was more than, like, like the Ten Commandments, like, like it was more than a sermon, but a, but a practical, dirt-under-your-fingernails way of living. God has given us a firm foundation of his word. God doesn't just invite us to believe in him, but he invites us to build our lives on his teaching. Are you with me? To listen and obey so that when the storms and rain come, and they will, right? Anyone older than me here know that storms and rain will come? They will come. And like God in his great mercy has already given us a foundation. Do you see that? He's already given us a footing. He's already given us a place to hold on to and to cling to. So that we wouldn't be tossed and turned. Despite what happens in the world around us. The reality is I think... 
we need more bar mitzvahs and more bat mitzvahs. We need more sons and daughters of the commandments. We need to, uh, I'm not suggesting buying more jewelry with the commandments wrapped around your arms and maybe you can paint them on the doorpost of your house if you want to. But we need more men and women who realize that God is showing us how to live here and now and today. We need more children of the commandment who are internalizing the commands of God through obedience. That he's given us something to build on. In just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and uh, dismiss you to a time of communion. If you're a guest with us, uh, uh, maybe we do this a little bit different than your tradition, but we have three tables set up around the room with the elements of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. For us, it's sacred space, and so... After our prayer, just invite you to, to, to go to that table and partake the elements. There'll even be some instructions on the screen if you have questions. It's a place of belief, for sure, but also a place of obedience. How close are you to the commands of God? Do you consider yourself a son or daughter of the teachings of God? Maybe you've been encouraged or inspired as a family to, to sit down and open the teachings of God again, to, to teach your children that this is the way of life so that they too could say, I love the commands of God. I see them as a foundation for my life. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its power and, and relevance. I love that your servant, like I love that that Jesus gives this kind of dirt under the fingernails teaching. Like he takes it out of the high and holy place and brings it right down to where we live. God, the mercy, the blessing is that 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 you don't just save us. You you walk with us. You give us something to build on our lives, something to build on, something that we can trust. Like. Like, man, we've been so tempted to follow other things. God, sometimes I'm, I'm je- frankly, God, sometimes I'm just jealous. I'm envious, and I, get, I begin to be pulled by these things of the world, and, and, and sometimes that gets just really slippery. But you've given us something substantial in your word. It's a blessing. It's a mercy. So, Father God, help us to not just be hearers of your word, but be doers. Let us tie your commandments to our, to our arms and to our legs. Let us carry them with us as we go out and as we go in. Let us repeat them again and again to our children. Let us again be sons and daughters of your word, sons and daughters of your commandments. We love you, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says amen. I invite you to join communion together.